The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Galatians chapter 2 with me, we'll be looking at verse 15 through 21. As you turn there, let's, let's pray this morning again, if you'd bow with me. God, as we approach your word this morning, help us to take it seriously. Help us to see the truth in it. God, I have no doubt this morning, each one of us need to grow in our walk with you. God, there are some here this morning, again, that I have no doubt do not have a walk with you. I do not know you personally. There is no relationship there. God, I pray this morning that would change. I pray that you would help them to see the truth of who you are, the love that you have for them, the grace that is poured out on them. Nothing they can do but what you can do. And what you have done, God, I, I pray for that victory this morning. I, I pray that you would just help us again to, to grow and to see the truth that you have given us in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. If you remember uh, last time we were in Galatians chapter 2, it took a little turn for the worse as Peter went to Antioch and Peter was there communing with the church in Antioch. He was eating. He was worshiping with the Gentile Christians there. Life was good. There was unity amongst the church. And then the Bible tells us that some men from James came. And as a result, Peter then withdrew himself from the Gentile Christians. And so Paul had to be very upfront with Peter. And so it says in front of everybody, he called Peter out. Or he called, yeah, he called Peter out. And he told Peter what he was doing was hypocritical and that it was a sin. And he was sinning against the body of Christ by withdrawing himself from the Gentile Christians. He was going against the exact gospel that he had preached and fading away from it. And so we talked about how this had to be difficult for Paul, no doubt. It had to be difficult for Peter. And we saw that many actually went along with Peter in this. And so today what we're going to look at is the rest of what Paul had to say to Peter, but I think it kind of changes a little bit too. I think as Paul is addressing Peter, he's, a, he's addressing Peter and he's addressing the sin that Peter was doing, but I believe Paul realizes others are listening. And so he's not just saying this to Peter, but he wants everybody in the room to hear what he needs to say, what has to be said. And so this section of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 through 21, really is a very important part of Galatians. Some would say the very key verse is verse 16 that we'll read here in a moment. That verse 16 is really the key verse of all of Galatians. So this is a very important section of God's word for us. It's foundational for who we are in Christ, who we are because of Jesus, for those who have been saved by his grace. And so I hope that we hear it this morning. I hope that we listen to it. I hope that we grasp it and really understand because I think it's vital for us today. So in verse 15, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. It says, We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, 
We ourselves also are found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. We're going to look at this in sections this morning and get through it all I trust. But as we get to verse 15 and 16, as Paul is talking to Peter and thus talking to everybody else in the room at the same time, he wants to bring up the point in the fact that we are justified in Christ alone and in nothing else. This is foundational to Paul's teaching. And so one of the first things that he talks about there in verse 15 is he says, we are Jews by nature, we are not Gentile sinners. He brings this up. You see, the Jews had a, a special place. They were called by God. They were God's chosen people. It was nothing that they did, that, but, but God chose them. And we see this with the covenant that he had made with Abraham way back in Genesis. And so the Jews had this special privilege mentality as well. And so everybody around them who were not Jews were not special because they were not chosen. And so those were the Gentiles. Those were the, the heathens, the people who were unclean. They were the people who were untouchable. And so Paul is bringing this point up in verse 15. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. He is saying, yes, we, we see this. Yes, I know this. Yes, I understand this. And maybe some of the Jews in the room at that time would have said amen. But it would have been embarrassing for them because the sentence wasn't over. The sentence wasn't over. Paul is trying to set them up to see the truth of God's word in reality. And so it continues on, right, in verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we, even we have believed in Jesus Christ. He's, Paul, Paul, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, we as Jews, we know the law. We, we know that we are God's chosen people. We know all of this stuff. Yet, Peter, we know that only Jesus can justify us, not the law. Peter, you know this because you've put your faith in that. I've put my faith in that. That's what Paul is saying. We know as Jews that being a Jew does nothing for us. The Jewish law does us no good apart from Christ. Does nothing for us apart from Christ. And so Paul is pointing this out, that even the devout Jews know that the law cannot justify. So if the Jewish law does no good for Jews, why in the world throw it on the Gentiles? Why all of a sudden, Peter, would you live as if the Gentiles have to change? That the food they're eating is wrong and they must change in order to be a Christian. Or that they must circumcise themselves in order to really fall in line with what it means to be a Christian. Paul is saying, or Paul is saying to Peter, you know this is not the truth. The law does not save. If you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4, I don't want to stay here long because in sermons to come in chapter 3, 
we'll touch on this to greater detail. But I just want to read verse 1 through 4, and I would encourage you to read the whole chapter today or this week to study it a little bit. But Paul proves this in Romans chapter 4 because he'll start to talk about Abraham. It says, What then shall we say? That Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. I just want to read those first four verses for us to see that what, what Paul is arguing for here is he is saying, when, when God chose Abraham, it had nothing to do with what Abraham had done. Nothing. It was, it was strictly grace. And so what Paul is getting to, the point that he is trying to drive home for us as he continues in Romans 4, which we'll get to more later in this series, but he's saying the seed that Abraham was promised, the descendants that Abraham was promised, was not of, of flesh and blood family lineage. That, that, that's not what it was here. What it is, is God had promised Abraham that his descendants would be through Christ. That's what it's pointing to. A spiritual family, not flesh and blood, but Christ's flesh and blood. What would come through the saving grace of Jesus. So that now today, we sitting in here who have been saved by God's grace, we can look back and say, Father Abraham had many sons. You know the song we sing as kids? And I'm one of them. I'm one of his sons. No, I can't do my ancestry and see that I come from Ur and all that stuff. No, mine, mine doesn't do that. But because of Christ, because of his grace poured out on me, I can look back and say that promise was my promise. And Abraham is my father. He's my grandfather. I'm one of his descendants. I'm one of God's chosen. I'm one of God's special people because God has poured his grace out on me. Not because of anything I've done. Not because of works. Because then I would just get cocky about it. I would boast. So then we have to ask, well, if we're only justified in Christ, we have to define the word justified. We got to know what it means to be justified. Now, this is something I've shared before, and this is something I will continue to pound into our heads over and over and over again because of how important it is for us. But the word justified is a legal term. It's a legal term. It's a, it's a court thing. It's a, it's a setup where we see a picture of a judge sitting on his throne who has all authority and all power. On the other side of the seat, other side of that bench, is you standing before the judge. And you stand before the judge and the judge says, you are guilty of the law. You have disobeyed the law and you are guilty. And according to the law, the wages of sin is death. What do you have to say for yourself? And you could stand before that judge and you could say all kinds of things. Well, judge, I, I believe my good outweighs my bad. Well, judge, I was born in America and I had parents that went to church and I went to church with them. In fact, I went to vacation Bible school. In fact, I got a certificate that says I went to Sunday school two years in a row. Never missed the Sunday. I'm on a church roll. I'm a member. 
of a church. You can say all of those things. But the simple fact is that the judge, according to God's word, looks at you and says, but that does not justify you. That does not put you in right standing with me. I don't care what role you're on. I don't care what country you were born in. I don't care the color of your skin. I don't care how good you think you were. The fact is, if you disobey just one of my laws, you've disobeyed every single one, and you are guilty of death eternally. Do you have anything else to say for yourself? Well, the fact of the matter is we stand before that judge very guilty. And it has to be a terrifying thing to stand before that judge because he has control of everything and you stand with nothing. There's nothing you can do. There's there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to turn. There's absolutely nowhere to hide. You must face the penalty before the judge. But what it means that we are justified in Christ is this. As we stand there guilty before the judge and the verdict is read, guilty, death, eternally, what happens in this picture is the judge takes off his robe. The judge steps down off his judgment seat, walks down next to me, standing there before him guilty, next to you, standing before him guilty, and says to the courtroom, I will take the punishment. Tim is set free. Imagine that situation for a minute. Now the judge could have chose somebody else. Could have pointed to somebody else in the room and said, you know what? You, you're going to take the penalty. Or are you, you're going to do it. Or simply could have just looked at me and said, Tim, you're guilty. You own up to it because in fact that is justice. That's what should happen. But no, the judge chooses to come down and say, I, I will take his place. Set free. Tim is set free. That is justification in Christ. That is what Christ has done for you if you have believed in him. If you've been saved by the grace of God, you stood there guilty, but no longer because Christ has took that penalty. Christ has paid your sins in full completely. It's nothing that you have to do. That's what it means to be justified in Christ. Nothing else can be done. Nothing else from heaven can rain down to save you more. Nothing else you do will ever put you on a higher plateau in the eyes of God because you can never get to a higher plateau than what Christ has done for you in your place. That is justification in Christ alone. And so Paul lays this out to the people there. And then he continues on in verse 17 to 18. He says, but if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? We need to stop there a second to explain what's happening here. What Paul is saying is he's saying, Peter, if you and the Judaizers are correct, if we must abstain from certain foods, if, if we must do certain things to our body, in order for all of a sudden to be accepted by Christ, to be accepted by God the Father, then doesn't that go exactly against what Jesus himself has taught? So, so Peter, are you saying then, for those of us who follow Christ, Christ leads us to sin? Is that what you're saying, Peter? Well, Paul has a very strong statement after he makes that one. Certainly not. Absolutely not. It is the strongest negative statement he could say. 
No way, shape, or form is Christ a minister of sin. Paul has a big deal with this because he's saying what you are doing is you're throwing sin on the spotless lamb of Christ. You're you're all of a sudden throwing all this sin on him, saying that he is actually a minister of sin, not not of grace, not of justification. There's no way that that could be. But this is what Peter was falling back into. He was nullifying what Christ had done. He he was erasing what Christ had done. And Paul was going so far as to show Peter, you're not just erasing it, you're actually changing what team Christ is on. You've actually just tried to switch it all. Again, I think it'd be interesting to be in the room. But I really like this little section, verse 17 and Verse 18, because look look at verse 18. It says, for if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. One of the answers I think that we get in this passage is to a very common question that we see. I've run across people before who object grace. They have objections to grace. When you teach grace, when you preach grace, when you say, it's not about you, it's about what Christ has done for you, there are always objections. But, Pastor Tim, Shouldn't we do this? Don't we have to be good then? Right? Shouldn't shouldn't we follow along with the law of what it says here? And what they're doing is they're, again, they're they're adding to grace. They have a problem with grace and the freeness of the grace that God gives us. And what Paul answers that question here, no. Because some people will say, well, you're just promoting sin. You're, You're just telling people to just keep doing what you do and God has poured his grace out on you, just keep doing what you do. And that's where Paul yells, certainly not. No, that's not what we do. Because Christ changes us. And that's what gets us to verse 19 through 21. Look at it again. For, though, for I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Well, we're going to see two things in this section in verse 19 through 21. One, we've died to the law, and number two, we now live to God. So, the first question we must ask, how have we died to the law? And we see this in verse 20. It says, you've been crucified with Christ. I want you to raise your hand for me if you have heard that phrase before, if you have said it. I am crucified with Christ. Raise your hand if you've heard that or said it. I think it's a very common phrase that we say and that what we hear, but I don't want you to raise your hands now when I ask this next question, but if I asked you to explain to me exactly what that means, could you do it? What does that mean? You're crucified with Christ? Were you there? Did it hurt? What did it look like? You know, all that stuff, I, I think there's a lot of objections that could come your way when you say, no, I'm crucified with Christ. We need to be able to talk about what that means. It's something we hear, but it's not always something we understand exactly what it means. And I want to try to clarify this morning the best I can what it means to have been crucified with Christ. When we trust in Jesus as Savior, when he pours his grace out on us of what we do not deserve, we then become active participants in his death and thus benefit beneficiaries to victory. We, become a benef- we benefit in the victory of Christ. And I, I want us to grasp this the best we can. When you've been saved by that grace, 
you have completely died to sin. You've died to sin. It no longer holds you. It no longer has a place over you. It's, it's over because Jesus died in your place. And you then, when you are seen by God the Father, you have died from your sin because he sees Christ. That's what he sees. I, I don't have to toil in my sin anymore and, and wonder anymore. God, God do you, do you, is it too bad? Was I too bad today? That now I must pray and ask salvation again? You know, where, where is it? No, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Because when, when God sees Tim, he sees Christ's death. He sees Christ's victory. And so I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to labor over that. I have died to the law. It no longer holds me hostage. It no longer weighs me down. So if you come to me and you say, well, Pastor Tim, in order to be a good Christian... You should do this. I'm going to look at you and say, stop holding me back. Stop holding me down. Don't base my salvation off of some good works. Don't base my salvation off what you think I should be. Because what I am is I am in Christ. And you can't add to that. And you can't take it away from me. Because you didn't give it to me. And I can't take it away from me. Because I didn't give it to myself. God has given it to me by his grace. So that's why we can read a verse like in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56, as we can read this with boldness and with great clarity, saying the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is what? The law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The strength of sin is the law. Why? Because the law pointed us to sin. It showed us our sin. There are so many people in this world who are completely suffocated by the law. Completely suffocated by it. They might not know how to word it this way, but what they fully understand is that the strength of sin is the law. They walk around with a heavy weight all the time. An extremely heavy burden wondering, what can I do to be justified before God? What must I accomplish what must I say? What checklist must I mark? And what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is what Christ has done is Christ frees us from those things so that his victory becomes our victory. So we don't have to carry those burdens anymore. We don't have to carry that shame or that guilt anymore because we have died to that. Christ paid that punishment for us. So why would we walk around in that punishment? I'm sure there are Christians here today who struggle with this. You continue to walk as if God continues to punish you. But what you fail to realize, I think, is you never received the punishment Christ did for you. You don't have to walk around with that punishment. You don't have to walk around hanging your head low. Because of Christ, God loves you. Because of Christ, he's poured his grace out on you. Because of Christ, you can have joy and peace and hope because we have died to the law through Christ. But that's not all verse 19 through 21 says. It also says, not only do we die to the law, but we live to God. We live in Christ. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me 
and he gave himself for me. So we died to the law, but in dying to the law, we now have life in the Lord. And so what that means is this life that I live is no longer mine. This is not my life. This is not the life of of Tim anymore, because if you would have asked me, Tim, what are your goals, what are your hopes, and what are your aspirations? Apart from Christ, they would have nothing to do with the things of Christ. There might have been some good things mixed in there. I'd love to cure cancer. I would love to make sure everybody had a meal every day. A lot of people can say those things and want to do those things. But the fact of the matter is when I live for Tim, had nothing to do with Christ. Had nothing to do with the things of Christ. And so when God pours his grace upon us and we see the truth of who he is and what he has done and we, we understand what justification is, we understand what has taken place in our lives as believers, the only response is to give up our life fully to him. Because we understand that he's our only hope. We understand that he's our only source of peace. We understand that he, in fact, is the only way to be free. And so we see verses like Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, that say, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, or your translation might say, which is true worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that which is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. You see, the reason that I don't struggle so much with preaching grace and wondering, well, will they get that their life is gonna change? I don't struggle with that because of this. If God changes their life by his grace, they will change. (laughs) I don't have to do anything about that. Now, they might have some questions. They might wanna know some things about God's word that I can definitely try to point them to and help them to understand. But, But I think it's foolish for me to think that in order for somebody to be saved, they must first understand all the do's and don'ts of what it is when you're a Christian. No way. No way. Because when God changes us, he changes us. It's a spiritual change. It is a miracle that happens when you are saved by his grace. And now this life is not mine. The old me has died. It died with Christ on that cross. But the new me was raised to life when Christ rose from the dead. And so I have life, but the life I have is his, and it's his fully. To go back to my old ways would be ridiculous. To go back to my old ways would be saying Christ died for nothing. That those were actually better ways. That, that what he thinks is good for me actually is not, and that this is, this is what's good for me. But I know better than that, because I know that all my life did before was weigh me down, was kill me, was destroy me going to send me to an eternity apart from God, away from him, experiencing his wrath. The new life in Christ understands he took that wrath, understands that now because of Christ, I have freedom. I have freedom. Freedom is a a tricky word today. When I ask people to find freedom, the, the definition that I get mostly is I can do what I want. Freedom means I get to do what I want. And a lot, sometimes they'll caveat with, as long as it doesn't affect somebody else, you know, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. True freedom is me doing what I want. 
Can I tell you that that's the definition of the opposite? That's, that's the opposite of freedom. According to God's word, me doing what I want is all evil. Me, me doing what I want digs my own grave. Me doing what I want means I am chained to my flesh and to my sin, which just destroys. But when we have life in Christ, all of a sudden we have freedom because I'm not held down by the chains that destroy. I'm not weighed down by those things that send me to an eternity apart from him. Oh, I'm free from those things. And so now, as a Christian, when I sin or when I, when I fall short, oh yes, there's repentance that should happen and I, I should go before God and say, God, I, I shouldn't do those things. He's got to help me to not do those things. But what I don't have to do is I don't have to go before God saying, God, please, please, please forgive me. Why? He already has. He already has. I'm not weighed down by that anymore. Oh, I want to do good. Oh, I want to serve him. Oh, I want to obey his laws. I want to obey his plans because I want to live for him. Because he died for me. Because he gave me life. That's, that's what baptism is. We, we stand there as a symbol showing this is my old life. I'm now buried with Christ. I've died to him but I'm raised in a new life. My sins are washed away. I, I'm clean. I, I'm white as snow forever. I cannot be changed. It cannot be done again. It's complete. And now I'm ready to live for him. That's what we're saying when we, when we experience a believer's baptism. I'm ready to live for him. I'm ready to serve him. It is no longer my life. But God, it is yours. Can I say I think that's the biggest sticking point for so many people? As you talk to them and they have questions about salvation, they have questions about this church thing or they'll tell me they're very spiritual or whatever word that they want to use. A lot of times what I find, the hang up, when we get down to the nitty gritty is they do not want to let go. They want to hold the reins. They do not want to say, this is not my life. Christ, it's yours, whatever that means. Whatever that means. It's yours. There is a fear there. And I think that's Satan's best tactic. Just that little bit of fear of are you really gonna hand over your life to somebody who died thousands of years ago? Are you really gonna give it all up to trust this book, this word? Oh, wouldn't you do better guiding? Wouldn't you do better directing your life? Don't you know what you need? Don't you know? what you want, I want to tell you that is a lie. You don't know what you need. You don't know what you want. You, you don't know what's best for your life. The Lord does. The creator of all things does. And he says the best thing for our lives is to lay it down and to give it to Christ and to live our life for Christ daily. We're getting ready to sing a song here in a moment. We're going to close service with a, with a song. and I want to read to you the lyrics because I want you to know what you're singing. Because it falls right in line with the message this morning. It says, what gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness, and freedom. My steadfast love, 
my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold. My hope, it's only Jesus. For my life, it's wholly bound up in his. Oh, how strange, how divine, that I can sing, all is mine. Yet not I, but it's Christ in me. The night is dark, but I'm not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness, but also in rejoicing. For in my need, my power, his power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley, he will lead. Oh, the night it has been won, and I shall overcome. Yet not I but it's Christ in me. I think this is the key verse. No fate I dread because I know I'm forgiven. The future is sure. The price, it's been paid. For Jesus bled and he suffered for my pardon. And he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold my sin, it's been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing. I am free. Yet not I, but Christ in me. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus. For he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before that throne. To this I hold my hope, it's only Jesus. All the glory evermore to him when the race is complete still my lips shall repeat yet not I but Christ in me will you stop doing it on your own will you stop relying on yourself and give it up and be able to sing this song yet not I but Christ through me oh in my weakness, in my suffering, but in my rejoicing. Christian, you know what that means? I know you do. We feel weak, we feel distraught, we feel like we don't have the answers anymore. Yet because of Christ, we can rejoice. Because of Christ, we can praise because we know who he is and his promises remain true even when we don't feel it. Because we know they're true and we hold to that. And when we succeed, we can say, yet it has nothing to do with I, but it's Christ to me. Let's bow together. Let's pray. And then we're going to sing this song. God, I'm so thankful that it's not about me. God, many of us in here each and every day are reminded how weak we are if not in our own minds, as we just struggle with ourselves. God, many of us hear it from other people as well. They remind us of how weak we are. They remind us of how worthless we feel. They point out our faults. They point out all these different things. But God, we know that the things of this world are not what define us. That I don't even define myself but it's because of Christ in me 
that I am victorious. My peace is found in that. My joy is found in that. My hope is found in what Christ has done, the work that he has accomplished, the work that he has finished in my life. And so God, my prayer this morning for myself and for the rest of us is you you would help us to live our lives for you in that. To, To live out that hope, to live out that joy, to feel that peace, even when everything in the world is pushing against it. To understand that I do not live for the things of this world, but I live for Christ who lives in me and because what he has done for me. God, this morning, I know there are people here relying on their own strength, trying to find hope within themselves, trying to find answers within them. God, help them to see that that is not there. They will not find it. It will not set them free, but only you can. And so God, I pray that they would cling to you this morning, that you would help them to see the truth of your word. They would experience your grace and be set free of the change and the bondage of the law. You would adopt them into your family. You'd be their father who loves them. God, I know that you can do that this morning. I know that you have desires to do that this morning. And so we trust in that. God, help us to sing this song this morning, honestly. Help us to understand the depth of it. God, for those of us who've been saved a long time, knock off the rust this morning. Help us to experience fresh and new as we sing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.